Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 43, The Mental Health Fallacy. Welcome back to the Awareness Offerings pod on another week. I'm recording this the week of May 26th, um, 2022, and it's a hard one. It's a hard one. I'm recording this in the context of the deadliest school shooting in the United States in a decade um, in Texas, and that is, you know, I, I set out to create a podcast that meets us where we are that is you know yoga philosophy and guided meditation for the moments we're living in that's that's the description i created and and that's the moment that we're living in right now and so um we will be looking at that from from the lenses that i have access to i will be offering a look at that Uh, so first i just want to name that at the very beginning here um with a content warning that we will be discussing you know violence and mental health and how the two things do or do not intersect um and so if this is um something that might be really overly activating for you this might be an episode uh to skip and I'm also feeling aware that the world itself is activating. Um, so if you have the space to, to look at it um, in community like this, uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. And I'm, I'm hoping to offer that. Um, and typically we would uh, start with our opening ritual of singing the sound of Om one time. And we will still go into that ritual. But I want to offer one more ritual first to begin this particular podcast episode. Uh, I just would like to offer a moment of silence for the, I believe now 19 children and two uh, teachers who were killed at Robb Elementary School on, um, I believe it was, as NC time is even difficult to keep up with, was it Tuesday or Wednesday of this week? I believe it was Tuesday. Um, but I want to offer a moment of silence, uh, conscious silence, um, just holding the victims, their families in a space of conscious awareness and love, um, and, and offering what we can, if we have the intentions of peace or comfort or justice or, um, you know, empathy or, you know, whatever we have in this silence, just pouring that out. Uh, so I'm going to be silent for, I'm going to say a minute and that's how we will open this podcast.
From here, I'll invite you to take a breath in through your nose if nostril breathing is accessible. Release that breath to close that intentional space. And thank you for joining me there. And now we will go into our other opening practice of singing the sound of Om one time. Om being the sound of consciousness. Uh, sans, it's a Sanskrit word, syllable, um, and each, you know, Sanskrit is a vibrational language. The idea is that each word and syllable has a vibration or an energy, carries an essence, which is more important and impactful really than the literal translation of any of the words. Um, and Om is said to carry the fundamental vibration of consciousness. Uh, so when we sing it, we ask for more of that in ourselves and hopefully in the world. And, and you can do that as always by joining me singing it out loud or just by listening. If you're coming along, I'll invite you to get your body into a comfortable position. You might choose to close your eyes or take a soft gaze, maybe looking down the tip of your nose or toward the floor. If it's safe and comfortable for you to do any of those things, just turning the the consciousness toward yourself for this practice. You might take another breath in through your nose if possible. Release that breath, just clearing some space. And then we'll take an inhale to sing the sound of Om one time. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now for this week's discussion. So as I said at the outset of this episode, this discussion is going to involve the events of this week, the week that I'm recording this, um, wherein there was uh, an incredibly deadly, devastating uh, mass shooting at an elementary school. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about how unacceptable and painful and horrific this is because you know, um, you know everyone who's awake um, and and connected to their hearts, to be frank, knows um, how horrific and unacceptable and preventable, completely preventable this was. And there's really not much to say because it's all been said a million times and more, um, you know, a a decade ago, Sandy Hook happened and there were other, you know, another group of elementary school children shot to death at school. Um, and we've done nothing to prevent that as a country. We in the U S United States, where I'm recording this from, um, have done nothing to prevent this from happening and to protect, uh, children and people from gun violence. All people are affected by gun violence. Um, and so what else is there to say? It's unacceptable. It's outrageous. Um, and, and the one thing I will say, and that I've said a lot on, on social media over the last few days is that it, it, this isn't, you know, just a natural fact of life. We do have some power here. Um, we know it's unacceptable and we have the power to collectively en masse decide that this is actually unacceptable and decide not to accept it anymore. And the ways that I'm familiar um, with deciding that it's unacceptable and doing something about it would be uh, contacting representatives. Um, if you're, you know, your representatives in, in your district, in your state, because that's the most effective, um, if they are, you know, as outraged by this, um, 
continuing gun violence as all of us are, um, and ready to do something about it in a substantive, substantive and legislative way, uh, calling them to offer your support so they know that the, their constituents actually want this and are behind them. And if they are at odds with your beliefs um, and not ready to do something about this, calling them to let them know that you expect them to do your job or to do their job. And the other way I know how to decide that this is unacceptable is by voting out. Uh, you know, this is an election year here in 2022. We have a midterm election. Uh, we just had the primary this week. Um, and it was Tuesday that this shooting happened. I know I was confused earlier, but I'm remembering it was on election day, Tuesday of this week, um, that this shooting happened. And so we just had this primary, uh, for the 2022 midterm election. And so we have the power to decide this is unacceptable by, um, organizing and showing up, uh, in, in un- impeachable, um, undeniable numbers uh, to vote out um, policymakers, leaders who will not do something about this, who um, have had the power to do, do something about this for 10 years and beyond, and so therefore are responsible for the fact that this continues to happen, voting them out and voting in uh, legislators who will do something about this. So um, that's my spiel for a moment about how we all know this is unacceptable and we do have power um, to decide it's unacceptable and act in that way. Um, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, you've heard me say this before, said yoga is skill in action. So if we are choosing to look at this through the lens of yoga philosophy and spiritual philosophy, as I tend to do here on this podcast, um, it is it is ordained by the path of the practice to take action. So that's, you know, some ways I'm familiar with us taking action, but beyond that, I'm not, I'm not going to say a lot about, um, how this is a problem because we know it is, but I am going to speak about how this is a gun problem because inevitably in the wake of these tragedies, folks who have a stake in this from the lens of guns, um, begin to talk about how guns are not the problem and they point to everything else that is the problem. Um, and when I say they have a stake in this, I mean, they're either leaders who are beholden to money, uh, the gun lobby, uh, in the United States, specifically the national rifle association gives millions of dollars to our politicians every year, a specific group of them more than others. Um, so those people have a stake in this and then folks who, um, sort of align with those same principles um, and believe that their power um, is tied up in their guns and believe that there's some kind of disempowerment that would happen um, if if gun reform were to happen in this country. Um, so when I say people who have a stake in this in terms of guns, that's who I mean. And inevitably when these things happen, they begin to speak about how um, guns are not the problem. And I want to just name clearly from the place of awareness um, that that comes back to, to power and money um, and the gun lobby. And so this inevitably happens and people begin to point to the other causes of this problem. And I want to be clear, you know, nuance is one of my favorite things in the world. Um, I think it's a deep posture of awareness and consciousness, which are very yogic and spiritual. Um, and I believe that we don't have enough of it in our society today. We love for things to be like, 
maybe it's a product of Twitter that, you know, for a while we had to fit our thoughts, uh, if we wanted to be on Twitter, which I am no longer, um, but if we wanted to fit our thoughts into 140 characters, um, we had to make things very simple and digestible. And that, that really developed in us a tendency to only accept black or white, um, or only accept, uh, I, I don't love saying black or white, but I, I, that's right now it's the only way I can think to get the point across. Really only accept um, very clear cut takes rather than things that are nuanced. So I want to say I love nuance and I'm, I'm not here to dispute the fact that there are other issues at play here besides just guns. This is a multi-layered issue um, and we should address all of them uh, and the one that we have the one that is the most dangerous objectively looking at you know the 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 evidence based on what has played out in our country over the last weeks right we just are still processing uh, a shooting in a supermarket in Buffalo where uh, a young white man um, killed and targeted black folks while they were buying groceries. Um, and now we have this. But so in the last weeks and the last decade, we've seen it play out that, you know, guns are the most dangerous and they are what we have the power um, in a really immediate way to to do something about. Um, so it is a multi-layered problem and guns are, are the in my in my view, the most pressing. Um, so I'm not arguing that this is not multi-layered, but what I am going to do is uh, look at a, a fallacy that arises each time we get into this discussion. And I believe I'm qualified to look at this fallacy. Um, there are things I'm not qualified to speak about um, in life and in this discussion because I don't have expertise or lived experience. But this particular fallacy I'm going to talk about, I actually do. I actually have the expertise to speak about it, and I'm glad for that. So I'm going to sit here for a moment and talk about the mental health fallacy. The mental health fallacy. And what I mean when I say that is this idea, this, this line of thinking and discussion that, come, that arises unfailingly every time a, a tragedy and act of horrific violence like this happens. Um, folks who are invested in keeping the Amer- American citizens armed with military-grade weapons um, point to this idea that mental health is the problem. Guns are not the problem. Mental health is the problem, as in the state of our mental health and mental health care uh, in this country is the reason that we continue to see mass gun violence with assault-grade weapons. Um, and that's a fallacy, as in it's, it's, it's a falsehood, it's incorrect, it's misguided. Um, and I actually, like I said, I actually have uh, qualifications to talk about why that is. So typically, you know, I'm, I'm discussing... What I, whatever I'm discussing on this podcast through the lens of yoga and spirituality, uh, which is something I've studied for almost a decade and continue to study, um, but I'm going to shift lenses just a little bit. And I believe they're all very much connected and I do work to connect these two things every day, but I am going to shift a little more from the overtly yogic lens to the mental health lens to have this discussion because I am, in addition to being a student and teacher of yoga and spirituality, uh, I am a, I'm a mental health professional in training. I have spent five years studying informally um, and receiving mentorship from a master social worker. 
I have been receiving formal mental health training at Florida State's uh, College of Social Work for two years now, um, and I've been working in the field as an intern for a year and a half, and I will graduate um, with my master's degree in social work, in, which is what will qualify me to work professionally in the mental health field this year. Uh, so I have qualifications to talk about mental health, um, and so as a mental health professional in training, I'm going to talk about why we need to stop making America's gun problem about mental health. I have three main points, main reasons, and these are, this is a non-exhaustive list. There are many, but these are the the three that strike me and speak to me the most. So here's why, as a mental health professional in training, we need to stop making America's gun problem, which is real, about mental health. First of all, stigma. There is a stigma, there is shame, there is an othering that surrounds people with mental health conditions um, where they are made to feel as if they are broken, that something's wrong with them, uh, that they're not good enough. We, I'm going to include myself in that because I, you know, I have mental health conditions. I experience, I have, um, you know, mental health experiences. Um, So there's a stigma, there is a shame surrounding that and equating mass gun violence with a mental health issue worsens and exacerbates the already very harmful stigma that surrounds people with mental health conditions who largely, mostly, do not commit mass murder. So if we want to talk, have a discussion about mental health and if we actually care about people who have mental health conditions, we don't need to be lumping them in with mass murderers who use military-grade assault weapons uh, to kill children. And it, it, you can hear the frustration in my voice, I'm sure, because as I say this out loud, I'm realizing how just diametrically opposed these two ideas are. That, you know, people who are invested in keeping the American people armed with military-grade weapons um, point to mental health as the issue, which would imply that they care about the issue of mental health. But if you care about the issue of mental health, don't stigmatize people who have mental health conditions by implying that they're one step away from murdering children. It's ridiculous. So that's point number one, stigma. That's why we need, that's one reason why we need to stop uh, making America's gun problem about mental health. The second reason in my view, is that it creates a false dichotomy. It creates a false dichotomy where we are misled into believing that we have to choose between focusing on guns or focusing on the mental health issues um, and mental health care in our country, that it's only one or the other. We can't focus on guns because we got to focus on mental health instead. That's a false choice because, first of all, we have the capacity to care about multiple things at once. We can prioritize things based on what feels the most urgent, what different groups are more equipped to handle than others. Um, We can create priorities, but we can care about multiple things at once. And that ignores, that false choice ignores the reality that no, regardless of someone's mental health status, regardless of the state of someone's mental health, they are so much less likely, you could say completely 
100% less likely. That's not a that's not a, an official, you know, piece of data, but they're so much less likely to commit mass murder if they do not have access to a military grade assault weapon. Regardless of the state of someone's mental health, it is objectively true that they are still much less likely to commit mass murder if they don't have access to a military grade weapon. So that's the second point is that false choice that gets created. The third point is about resources. Because the same people who want to make America's gun problem about mental health rather than guns also refuse to provide funding and support for accessible health care and social services. And mental health care is both of those things. And I don't really, you know, on a couple of these other points, I had some commentary to share, but I don't really have more, com- more to say on this one other than just to, to, to shine the light of awareness, the light of consciousness, which is what all yogic and spiritual practices are about. Um, and a lot of mental health work too, right? Making the unconscious conscious is what a lot of, um, you know, uh, psychodynamic and, and psychological work is about. So I don't really have a lot else to say other than to just shine the light of consciousness on the deep hypocrisy of the idea that we want to um, misdirect attention away from guns and onto mental health. And the people who want to do that are the same people who will not provide either through their votes, if they are voters and citizens, or through their legislation, um, support and funding for, for accessible health care for all people and for social services. And mental health care is both. So there you have it. <laughs> That's my take as a, as a mental health professional in training on why we need to stop making America's real, objectively harmful gun problem about mental health. And... You know, I share this knowing that if you are, if you're listening to this podcast, it may be that you already agree with me. You might not. And I'm hoping that we can sit together um, and, and have this open conversation. So thank you for listening. But if, you know, if you're already on board with this, I also share this um, to offer, you know, if, if you are willing and have the resources and energy to have these kinds of conversations with people who use this fallacy uh, to misdirect attention away from our gun problem, to maybe offer some, some, some talking points if you want and need them. Um, that, you know, the reason that making America's gun problem about mental health is a fallacy is because of stigma because of the false dichotomy it creates and because of the way we are willing and unwilling to allocate our resources. So I hope that this helps in some way um, or is, you know, heart opening in some way, whatever it might be. And speaking of heart opening, now I'm going to transition from the discussion portion of this podcast into the practice portion where we go into embodied meditative practice. And typically there would be this really um, like tangible link between what we're talking about and what we're practicing. We would be, you know, talking about a certain topic or idea, especially when it comes to spiritual philosophy, and then we would stop talking about it and embody it and put it into practice. Um, but here, instead of you know embodying 
the the what what we're discussing today is not really um, a straightforward thing concept that we can then practice and embody. So instead of doing that, what I want to offer for the for the meditative portion of this practice is just space to be, to land, to get still in an absolutely chaotic world, to perhaps feel what you feel, to maybe start to digest what you feel. So that's what this practice will be about. And if you're not in a position where it's you know doable or safe for you to sit and get still and do some meditative practice, this might be a good moment to pause the podcast and return when you are. But if you are in such a position, I will invite you to find your way into a comfortable seat. A a comfortable seat for meditation is any seat that allows you to lengthen your spine, which is the center line of your body. It's the home of your nervous system and the pathway on which all of your energy moves. And so when it's upright and long, there's just more space for the movement of energy. There's more connection and stability in the nervous system. But as long as your spine is long, Sit however you need to. Cross-legged on the ground, on your cushion, your blanket or your pillow, with your back against the wall, with your legs uncrossed, extended, knees bent, on a chair, on your bed. Wherever you sit is good, just lengthening in your spine. And as you find that, you might choose to settle into your seat of practice, your meditation, this conscious landing place by closing your eyes. Or you might choose to just take a soft gaze again, maybe gazing down the tip of your nose or toward the floor. You never have to close your eyes. Just doing something to turn your awareness toward yourself, to land in your own presence with yourself. And from here, you might begin a practice of breath awareness That doesn't mean you have to change your breath or do anything with your breath here. You just observe the process. You notice that you're breathing in as you inhale. And you notice that you're breathing out as you exhale. Just a continued invitation into landing for yourself. It invites this breath awareness, invites your mind, your body, and your focus to come into one place, centering, settling. And of course, I'm so aware that it can be so hard to settle in such a painful moment Your mind might be really resistant to just getting still and focusing on your breath. And you can, I'll invite you to have some compassion for that and understanding. I certainly understand it. Compassion is one of the practices we'll work with in our meditation today. And you can start by just like kind of saying, okay, I see you mind. I get it. But then you can use the tools of your mind to invite your mind into a more settled place because it deserves that even though it resists. And the idea that I've learned from my teachers is typically it resists because it's we know that if we slow down, we have to feel all this. We, when we stop thinking, we go into feeling, and we have to feel the pain, and it's hard. So you can give your mind compassion and then use your mind. You might say to yourself, inhaling, aware that I'm breathing in, 
exhaling, aware that I'm breathing out, just to continue that centering and settling. Inhaling, aware that I'm breathing in. Exhaling, aware that I'm breathing out. It's a practice uh, that I've heard from many of my teachers, but originally heard from um, Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. Beautiful teacher of compassion and nonviolence. Two really powerful tools in this moment. And we can start it here. We can start it embodied in our practice within ourselves. Showing compassion toward ourselves by noticing how we are and being nonviolent with ourselves by not forcing ourselves to, to be any other way than what we are right now. So as you settle into your breath, inhaling, aware that I'm breathing in. Exhaling, aware that I'm breathing out. You may start to notice. You may start to drop into the feeling of how you are right now, what you feel. Your emotional body, your physical body, your energetic body, what the sensations are. There might be names in your mind for what you feel. Grief, anger compassion all of it is correct all of it is valid and you just settle into it allowing it in that compassionate space of awareness awareness is inherently compassionate so we inhale aware that i'm breathing in exhale aware that i'm breathing out having taken some time to settle into a space of awareness now we'll move into uh, some more kind of um, we'll, we'll be a little more involved with our practice we'll do some pranayama some breath work now intentionally changing the breath to evoke a certain kind of energy the breath is yoga for the energetic body and the emotional body and one of the one of the benefits of that is it helps us go beyond our mind because it gets into a different layer of our experience. So we'll go into some breath work. And we're going to do a practice called the rainbow breath. If you've ever practiced breath of fire, which is a really kind of vigorous belly pumping breath that pumps oxygen into the belly center, which is the fire center of the body, this breath, this rainbow breath is like a, a cousin of fire breath. It involves a little more power in the breath. 
It involves squeezing the belly, but it is slow and it's deep. And the idea is similar. Um, fire breaths, you know, fire clears, fire, fire burns away. Um, and so the, the, the family of fire breaths, as I've been taught by my teacher, Swami Jayadevi, um, it, they, they clear our emotional body, our emotional history, which can be really a potent way to help us digest in times of really intense emotion. So that's happening when we do this breath and this particular breath, this rainbow breath, it's named after the Tibetan Buddhist goddess Tara, who I am also named after. My spiritual name, Tara Devi, is named for the Tibetan Buddhist goddess Tara. And when I say goddess, my understanding of all the goddesses, the deities, is that they are symbols. They're forms of energy. They're archetypes to help us understand sacred energy in a way our minds can understand. And Tara is the goddess of compassion. She represents the sacred energy of compassion. And there are 21 forms of Tara. She, she takes 21 different forms and they each have a different color associated. And so that's where the rainbow comes from, that rainbow of Tara. So in this rainbow breath, we are clearing to make more of that compassionate space, that space of compassionate awareness, to hold ourselves in compassion as we digest the best we can and to generate the energy of compassion, which benefits the world in need of compassion. So for this rainbow breath, it's a deep breath in, little power behind the breath, expanding the ribs and belly. For the exhale, we exhale for as long as possible without force, squeezing the muscles below the belly button to press air out and keep exhaling for as long as you can. Try to press, maybe even round your lower back a little as you squeeze the muscles at your lower belly, pressing air out. See if you can empty yourself of air, maybe stale air or excess tension empties with it. And then again, inhale, expand. Longest exhale you can without force, squeezing below your belly button, your lower abdomen to press out air. Keep going until it feels like you've pressed it all out. Not forceful, just a really deep and full exhale. Exhaling. And then again, inhale, expand. Long, squeezing exhale, keep it going. When I say squeeze, I am not asking you to suck your belly in. That's moving air around, and I would never ask you to do that. We're not trying to get smaller. We're contracting the muscles to press the air out. You're probably still exhaling here. Keep exhaling. Press, press, press. And then again, inhale, expand. Long, squeezing exhale. Press all the air out. As long as you need to, to press the air out, but without force. Compassionate clearing. Inhale, expand it. Long exhale, clear it. Inhale, expand it. 
long, long exhale. Clear it. Press it. Inhale, expand. Exhale, go long and clear. One more time. Inhale, expand. Exhale, press as much air as you can out and perhaps some tension goes with it. Keep pressing. And once you are empty of air, consider pausing with the breath out only if that feels okay. Those deep breaths have oxygenated you, so you might have some space to practice non-breath, which can help us drop into stillness. As you're ready, take a gentle breath in. Gentle breath out. Let your breath do what it does. And go back to that initial practice of just feeling what you feel, noticing what you notice about your experience in this moment. Holding yourself in that space of compassionate awareness. Now having picked up a tool to generate more of that space and compassion and just allowing yourself to land there. Settle there. Be there. From this place, I'll invite you to inhale through your nose. Sigh through your mouth. Another clearing breath, this time to close the practice and help us ground. Let's do that twice more. One more time.
then you can allow your breath to do what it does again. And perhaps this time you just carefully, full of care, blink your eyes open. You might begin to move around, doing whatever you need to do to return to the external space outside of your formal meditation practice. But I'll invite you to, as one of my teachers would say, practice living meditation by holding that space of awareness, even as your body or mind move back into the external. Perhaps just noticing what you feel internally at the same time. Maybe you have a continued awareness of that you know, open and compassionate space that you cleared. And it is that continued awareness that will help generate more of that open, compassionate space in your life your relationships, and my dearest hope is in the world. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram. <laughs>